The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm glad to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs in 20 minutes, in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I need to talk to you about people who call you and tell you that they're from the government or the police or whatever, and that's the first step to you getting ripped off. I'm going to tell you what you need to know to protect your identity and your wallet. And coming up in a half hour, I am just going crazy with all the text messages I'm getting now that are marketing messages. You know, I thought it was bad enough with all the marketing emails I was getting, but now they've migrated to our texts. I'm going to tell you what you can do about it in just 30 minutes. Our web address, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. I was talking with producer Kim about something that comes up every single week from callers to our show. And it concerns you opening a non-traditional IRA. It's a hot thing. I'll look through financial publications, and there's so many people touting these non-traditional IRAs, where you can put non-traditional assets in your IRA account. The most common people are doing is various forms of real estate. But in addition, they'll do non-trading, non-publicly trading partnerships, illiquid investments of various kinds, and what you need to know is that these can blow up on you big time. And every time I take the call from somebody, I try to tell them why I'd rather not do it, but they're pretty much, by the time they've called me, they're already psychologically in, even if they have not actually put their dollars and cents in. But I assume most of the time, even after somebody asks me about it, they go ahead and do it anyway. So I want to get ahead of the game and tell you that you need to be very careful when you go out on a limb and do non-traditional IRA investing because many times you will create a tax time bomb. I saw a thorough write-up in the Wall Street Journal about the problems people are having in IRAs way before they get ready to spend any money from them One example they give is somebody who ended up having to pay nearly $100,000 in tax prematurely on their IRA because they had weirdo stuff in it. And yes, any kind of illiquid investment in an IRA goes into my category of weirdo investment. And going into really exotic things where you use a special custodian so you can own real estate in an IRA, be careful with that because you can end up with a variety of tax bills in that IRA 
way before you reach the point that you would normally pay tax when you're taking money out of the IRA. And to add insult to injury, as a general rule, the taxes have to be paid from holdings within the IRA, which if you've got too much illiquid stuff in there, you may not be able to come up with the money to pay the tax bill. Simple in your IRA. Simple. Own mutual funds or index funds or individual stocks if you prefer or bond funds or whatever. But stay away from things particularly that are peddled by anybody at a full commission stockbrokers trying to sell you any kind of limited partnership or anything like that going in an IRA. Because when the big tax bomb comes, that salesperson who already made that massive commission selling you that junk, they're not going to pay your tax bill for you. But you're just as stuck with it. Jenny joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jenny. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Tell me how I can be of service to you. Well, I listened to your recommendations, and I got a couple of questions about the Chromebook. You recommend it for, to have a designated Chromebook to pay do all your financial transactions with? And I actually and I, use my Chromebook to travel and all that, and I bought my last Chromebook as a recondition one a few years ago for $109, and the thing is starting to, the, the, the joints, whatever you call it, where you open it up, uh-huh. it's starting to sound like it's a 200-year-old man trying to get up from a sofa or something. It's making these terrible crunching noises and all that. And I just won't <laughs> let go of it because it's been so good and it's been so cheap. So you would use this for, I do all my banking online, um, self-employed. I have a program where I take in credit card transactions from my clients, but some of them still pay with credit with checks. They write checks. So I'm used to using the app on my phone to take a picture of the check and make the deposit that way. Sure. Would I be able to do that on a Chromebook? Or can I still you use still, I would do that, that on your phone because you're okay. using the app from the financial institution you're making the deposit with, uh-huh. and that is a better, safer, more secure way for you to do it than with a Chromebook or any laptop. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, it would have... I would still have the app on the Chromebook. Okay, but if that's fine, that's fine. That's good. And then you have been recommending this one that's on Groupon. Well, I thought Chromebook was like the brand name, but there's several different brands. Oh, no. <laughs> Chromebook is, is the operating Chromebook is like the operating system. And oh. the, the Groupon ones have been so cheap. Let's see what they have t- today. Let me see, uh, 129 139 seems like they have new ones mm-hmm. like every week. How much were you looking to spend? Oh, that, that would be great. That's fine. Here's another one for 119 on Groupon. Um, and they're, they all recondition, refurbish, refurbish. And, yeah, and the one that I bought for like 109 was a refurbished one. 
and it just works and works. Mm-hmm. The one I have is a 15.6-inch screen, so it's a little bulky, but it's been great to have. Mm-hmm. So do you also recommend um, anything, like if I go to Amazon, should I do that on the Chromebook? Well, if or you're going to do any of your banking on the Chromebook or bill pay or anything, I want you uh-huh. just to use it for that purpose. I wouldn't want you doing any checking of email, e-commerce, anything like that. It's almost like um, you're spending 100 or so dollars on an insurance policy to give you mm-hmm. better protection for doing your financial stuff. So I could still shop on my other computer. All right, so let me tell you how freaky I am. I have on my desk, I have my financial Chromebook, and then I have my Chromebook for all my web surfing. And they just sit side by side. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So you think about people historically think about when you buy a computer that you have to spend as much as like $500. But you don't have to anymore. And computers have gotten to be so inexpensive that that you just aren't putting a lot of money into these things. Good deal. I also took your advice and I did the credit freeze. And to all of our Hoosier listeners, it is free in Indiana. Really? With all three. Mm-hmm. That's great. There are a, a handful really of states that have made credit freeze completely free. And then in the most expensive states, it's $10 per bureau. And $10 is really outrageous for the actual, if you think about the cost to a credit bureau of freezing your credit, it's probably just a few pennies. So Right. But even even at the outrageous $10 per bureau or $30, it's a cheap way to protect your identity. But I like your way a whole lot better. Not yeah. having to pay That's anything. It's really nice to find out. Yeah, so yeah, should I move to Indiana a, so I can have free credit freeze? Uh, no, it's snowing here and it's warm where you are, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I hope you enjoy your new Chromebook. Tim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tim. How you doing, Clark? Great, thank you, Tim. How can I serve you? Well, uh, I know you've probably heard this before, and and I've kind of been doing all the research into uh, online money-making ventures, and I'm actually trying to find a legit one that you can work from home on your computer on the Internet and not one of these rip-off scams that you, you see so much out there. Well, that's something that has always been very popular on our website, and so we have a guide to what we, as best we can tell, are legitimate things you can do working from home on your computer and none of them pay a lot of money. I mean, see, that's the thing. I'm, you know, I'm not really interested in anything that makes you know millions or anything like that. Just a moderate or small income to, you know, supplement an income. Then take uh, take a moment and look at what we've slugged it at on Clark.com is legitimate work from home opportunities, and we've got. Uh, I guess we have about 15 or 20 now, more than that now maybe. Oh, gosh, we've got a ton of them. And it's just a matter of finding the one that that works for you 
and that they want you as well, you know, that you get that match game. And I think right. you'll find something that you might be happy with there. Okay, I'm going to check that out then. The good news is that has been a popular feature on our website, and, and we continually change it for ever since our website came about 20 years ago. And I cannot remember, maybe at some point we had something on there that was a little fishy, but I can't recall that ever happening. Because we really do try to make sure that the people we list on that guide are the real deal and not sleazy. Because, you know, that's a space where most of the people touting work at home or work on your computer are really bogus. They're really not doing the legit thing. Right. A lot of them I've run across have, you know, in one place or another, they've said, oh, this is a scam. You know, don't do this one. Or they ask you for money up front, you know, when when you you want to sign up. And you're like, hmm, I don't know about that. So the ones that we list, if there's any money you have to pay up front, it's for a background check. There would be a small amount of money. Or very rarely, there might be one that requires some kind of license that you hold. Other than that... It's a straight, clean deal where you work for them, they pay you money. Well, great. I'm going to look into that and check out your website. Well, best to you, Tim. I hope you do find that part-time opportunity that you're looking to supplement your income. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment, and this is a word of warning about something that has a similar method of operation, but the con keeps morphing to rip off you and your wallet. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. Special warning from several initials of federal agencies wanting you to know that people calling and impersonating federal employees continues to plague consumers around the country As you know and as you've heard for the last year, people calling and impersonating the IRS. Now, one of the latest things going on, according to the Federal Trade Commission, are people that are impersonating employees involved with health care with the federal government. Health care so much in the news right now, and people are getting calls from what they'll claim are things like the Department of Health and Human Services, and it will even show, according to Consumerist.com, it will even show a caller ID if you have one on your smartphone or a home phone. It will show a 202 area code, which is Washington, D.C., and it may say Health and Human Services or something like that on there. And then what you're told is that they need to confirm your Social Security number for the continuation of your health coverage or several wrinkles like that. I want you to know that just like any of the other phone calls people are getting from people pretending to be from your bank, pretending to be from the IRS, pretending to be from any state or federal agency, And in addition, more recently, locally, with people receiving calls from someone claiming to be from the local sheriff or the local police department, 
any of these things where you're receiving a call from somebody who is pretending to be with the government and that you need to provide information or a credit card or your social security number or anything like that, do not, in a call that you did not originate, do not give up information no matter how convincing, no matter how intimidating, or no matter how threatening the person is on that phone call. What you should say is, well, you know, I worry so much about identity theft that I cannot give information on a call that you have placed to me. So I'll call back to your agency on my own. Thank you very much. Generally, before you've even gotten to thank you very much, the con artist will have hung up the phone on you. My name is Raven. Professional wrestling superstar, world-class idiot, and raconteur extraordinaire. Join me for my new podcast, The Raven Effect. Every Monday here on the Jericho Network on Podcast One, we'll be covering current events and any and all topics that can be properly bantered. Download and listen to the show on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on iTunes. Quote The Raven. Nevermore. great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. You want deals? Go to clarkdeals.com, and clark.com is our main web address. So people get more and more and more advertising-oriented text messages now. I've seen a big increase you know i it's like it's so last year that everybody's about hitting you with spam email because now more and more marketeers i'm even talking about legitimate ones that maybe you bought something from a seller and now they start hitting you with messages all the time and when you allow them to send you a text update on your order, that's going to start the whole chain of getting one text after another after another from them telling you about their latest sale and 10% off on this and on like that. And sometimes you just don't want that. Maybe other times you want them to be sending you offers. But if they don't offer you a simple way to stop messages like With many companies, you can just respond to a text with the word stop, and they will stop. But if that doesn't work, do you know that both Android and iPhone offer ultra-easy ways for you to block text messages from a sender? With an Android, if you look at the message chain from a sender, There are three little dots on the right-hand side. I'm looking right now for some advertising messages I've gotten that I don't want to receive. And so I can just click on them. And then in the upper right-hand corner, click on the three little dots. And one of the choices I have, blacklist. So once I click on blacklist... I'm not going to get any more messages from that sender. They would have to change how they try to reach me, but as far as trying to get them, 
to me that way. It's not going to happen anymore. Ultra easy. Now, depending on the operating system you're on with Android, when you click on the dots, there may be one extra step you need to do, but the most recent versions of Android, you just click on those three dots and one click on blacklist, done. If you have an iPhone, there's also a procedure to do it. When you're in a message, there's an I, little I, in the same place that Android puts the three dots, and you just tap on the sender's number, and then you choose block them. So very, very easy for you to do, and it is a tool that once I first learned about it with my latest Android It has made my life so much more hassle-free with all these text messages, bam, 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 coming from people I don't want to hear from. Never an individual for me. It's always somebody trying to market something to me. Aaron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Aaron. You're thinking of buying your first home. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, my wife and I are out looking at homes, and uh, we're just wondering, uh, or uh, I know I've heard you say in the past on a previous show that uh, once that Fed raises rates, that the uh, mortgage rates temporarily drop, and I was just going to want your opinion, I guess, to see if that would happen again or if it's best to, to wait a while to lock that in. So I should explain why that happens. When the Federal Reserve raises the interest rates they control, those rates do not directly affect mortgages at all. But the reason they indirectly do is it signals to people who are basically, when you look at interest rates, it's it's lenders that set the rates, right? So for a lender, what I'm concerned about is what are the interest rates going to be that I'm going to receive based on what inflation would be? Because what I've got to worry about is that I can earn more on the money I lend you than what inflation is going to be over a number of years. So when the Federal Reserve raises the interest rates, it controls. It tells people, oh, they're going to keep inflation from getting out of hand So I should be more comfortable lending money for long-term, potentially at a little bit lower rate. Okay. But as far as how much, it's generally not going to be a huge difference each individual time the Federal Reserve raises the interest rates it controls, but it can make a bit of a difference, maybe an eighth of a point typically. Yeah, I've seen it. It jumped up about an eighth of a point in the past couple of weeks. Uh, so not that big a deal, and it's probably, but still the sooner the better as far as uh, locking in that rate, it sounds like. Well, as long as you have identified a home that you're really comfortable with, that you want to buy, that you want to live in, that you're comfortable with what the monthly payment would be, are you uh, pre-approved for a mortgage yet? 
Yeah, yeah, we have been uh, pre-approved at two local credit unions, so we're good to go there. Great. And are you comfortable with what kind of payment you would have to make based on how much they say you're approved for? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, we're looking at right around two hundred thousand, so that's that's pretty pretty comfortable. Um, we want to do a fifteen year to to get that lower rate, and we're you know we're fine with that higher payment. Um, but yeah, we're looking at about three and a three. Well, it was three and a quarter. Now it's three and three eighths. I think the rate that we have. So well, you're a genius to be looking at the fifteen years. You know, well, I have because, such a hard uh, time. <laughs> I have such a hard time getting anybody when they're buying a home to look at the fifteen-year loans because they're really uh, afraid about what kind of payment it's going to be. Will you be okay with that payment? Uh, you think you're really going to be comfortable with that going forward? Yeah, yeah, I think so. We have um, we have quite a bit sitting in in just the money market. So we're going to put twenty percent down, and and we're and we're pretty comfortable with paying the the higher payment on the fifteen year. So, Aaron, you must not be an American because you don't sound like one. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like the well, typical first time home buyer at all. Twenty percent down, and you're going to aggressively pay down by going into a fifteen year loan. And the beauty for you is it's um, it's more than three quarters of a point cheaper typically for the 15-year money money than it is for the 30-year money. Yeah, absolutely. You're fantastic. Oh, thanks, Clark. And one thing, you're just, I want to tell you, you're not allowed to retire from the radio, all right, because we enjoy listening to you so much. Well, you're very kind to say that, but, you know, at some point there will be somebody who will be better at this than I am, you know, giving money advice. It'll be time for me to move on, right? That could be, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure, we're all replaceable. That's true. Well, enjoy well, your home your search. Help. And by the way, on the lock-in, when you do lock-in, be uh-huh. really comfortable that the lender is going to get the loan closed within that lock-in period. Okay. Because you don't want to be in a position where they say they're pointing fingers at you and saying, oh, yeah, we did have that locked in, but, you know, we're not going to get it done and it's all your fault. So you need to have real comfort that in that period of time, which is, you're looking at 45 days? I think so, yeah. I think it was 45. You got to be, you got to have real assurance from them that they will get the loan closed and get you in, in that 45-day time. Diane's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Diane. Hey, Clark. It's great to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. You have a beef with Charles Schwab. Is that right? I do. What have they done to you? Yeah, I tried opening a checking account with them so that I could get the international ATM benefits. And my credit's frozen because I listen to you all the time. Um, And when I went through... um, trying to get the account opened, um, somebody called me the day after I did the online application and said that they needed to um, verify my identity, and they couldn't do that because my credit's frozen. And so I said, well, I understand that there are alternate methods of identity verification, um, and I've been a brokerage customer of theirs for many years, but they said that their policy is that they only 
um, the only method of ID verification that they'll use is credit freeze, and I started quoting the Patriot Act. Not not credit so freeze, but credit check. That. Yeah, isn't yeah, that, sorry, isn't that maddening, Diane? Because okay, I want to tell you one of the oddest parts of all this, okay? You just okay. told me you're an existing customer of Charles Schwab brokerage, brokerage? That's right. And so you could use a Schwab 1 on the brokerage side, and there would be no need for them to run a background on you. They'd already verified you to open your brokerage account. But because under the law, and this is true for any of the brokerage houses, if you open an account with their bank where you have the FDIC and all that, it's considered to be Uh a separate financial institution and it's as if they don't know you and they've never done business with you. Okay, that would explain why I had two different people calling me about the application, one from the brokerage side and one from the, the banking side. So if I'm correct, you already have a, a Schwab account. Is it a Schwab 1? Well, at this point, I have um, two custodial brokerage accounts. I haven't switched my my main brokerage account over to Schwab. Um, I have a different um, financial institution at the moment for that. Okay. So I've got two custodial accounts that have been open for like five years each. You know, I, I'd be curious I would uh, if you opened a Schwab 1 on the brokerage side with those custodial accounts, would they still require a credit check? Because otherwise... You're going to find this, it's going to be like beating your head against the wall. It's the most frustrating thing where you have to thaw your credit to actually open an account with an institution that already knows who you are. Right. Would the um, Schwab One account allow the international ATM access? It does. Checking account? It does. Okay. And uh, Schwab One is pretty much a brokerage equivalent of a checking account. Okay. So that Good may be know. a way to get done what you want to without having to go through the, through the rigmarole of thawing your credit. Very good. I will check that out. And if I've sent you down a dead end on that, I'm sorry, but all this stuff with trying to verify who people are when they do business with the bank has led to this stuff with people with credit freeze having to thaw their accounts. That that's what I'm finding, <laughs> and they were very unwilling to budge. Yeah, because it's just it's it's one of those things that is a frustration of modern life. That it doesn't matter how much you can say, "Hey, look, you've known me for years. I've been your customer for years. Look at these accounts I have with you for all these years." And they say, "We can't do anything about it." It is the lack of common sense and judgment that's so much a part of modern life. Karen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Karen. Hi, Clark. If it's me, it's Karen. Karen. I'm sorry, Karen. No, it's a common situation. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk with you because I've followed you for a long time, but not before we had locked into a monitoring, our alarm monitoring system when you said you shouldn't be paying more than XYZ, and I can't remember, so I need to be re-educated on how we should be looking for a monitoring system because we've been locked in, and on the 19th of this month, we're done with that three-year or four-year contract. 
Oh my goodness! Able, all right, so yeah. all right, so let me see if I can cause a little bit of need for antacid in you. Many times <laughs> in those burglar alarm contracts, there is a notice provision you have to give in writing by a date certain to not have the alarm do what's called rollover, where you're then stuck with them for another so many months or years. That's a good thing to know before and not after. (laughs) Right. So you've got to get that. Any chance you have that contract, a copy of it from all those years ago? I do, of course, yes. I mean, I'm the kind of person who keeps all of that stuff. I was going to say, nobody could put their hands on that. If you can... Go through and see what the provision yeah. is requiring notification. How much are you paying a month for monitoring right now? Oh, my goodness. $45. What? What? Don't, yeah. What? Hang, hang on to your socks. That was your money blowing to smithereens for all these years, like 300 surplus dollars a year. Oh, tell me about it. I, Like I said, I heard your program after we had locked into that. Okay, so the way it works is you move forward. You can even now just go to Google and say, uh, put in where you live and say uh, burglar alarm monitoring or security system monitoring. And you'll see a huge number of offers that will be somewhere in the teens per month. Oh, okay, fine. Well, I found something called Simply Safe, which was the one item I wanted to ask if you had any knowledge about. Oh, yeah, I know a lot about Simply Safe. That would be starting all over from scratch, though. Are you leasing the system you have, or do you own the system? And you were no, com- we we trust me. We own it. We paid for it. We yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you own it, simply safe is unnecessary for you. That would be for somebody starting from scratch. That's a nice thing to know. What we were going to upgrade was to a system where the battery life is five years. Sometimes up here on the hill, when we have outages, the battery life doesn't last, and then oh. we get inundated with alarm warnings once we do get power back on. So the deal with the alarm companies, when you're willing to switch your monitoring to them, they'll throw in things just to get your monitoring business. And without a contract either, because the real lucrative thing is the monitoring tends to cost an alarm company a dollar or two a month to provide. Mm. So it's just, once they have you hooked up, it's just pure profit for them. 15 to 20 is the sweet spot of where you should be looking, and you really won't have a hard time finding that. Just make sure that the monitoring station is UL approved. You know, when you're a kid, there are a lot of things that you think exist. Unicorns, dragons, mermaids, you name it. When you're a kid, it's real. But when you find out later that they don't, well, it's kind of disappointing. Of course, as you get older, you get over the disappointment. But when you're looking to buy a car, there's nothing worse than finding the one of your dreams online, and then you find out later, it doesn't really exist. It's not true. That's why at TrueCar, they show you real pricing on actual inventory. This isn't pricing offered to you by TrueCar. It's an actual VIN-based price from a TrueCar certified dealer in your area. Real prices. And these aren't just any dealers either. 
TrueCar certified dealers are a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency. They offer competitive prices and a faster, easier buying experience for you. It's a fact. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with the TrueCar certified dealers. And, on average, they save over $3,000 off the MSRP. So when you're ready to buy that dream car, visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where my goal is to empower you with knowledge so that you can pack a punch in your wallet. I hope you get ideas that will help you keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. I love deals. So I love ClarkDeals.com. It's our attempt to give you the latest, greatest bargains for your wallet and check it out. Again, ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in a half hour, I've taken some calls that really are so difficult to come up with the right answer for, and it's when people have an aging relative who may be starting to slip, and it can involve so many different factors, but when it gets to the point where somebody feels like they need to hire someone to help with a loved one, or maybe they need to be in some kind of assisted living or whatever, people are just blind on that. They don't know how to do it, where to turn, what to trust, or who to trust. And so a half hour from now, I'm going to give you updated information on how you can make the best decisions for your parents, your grandparents, or if you yourself are trying to decide what you should be doing for your own situation if you're physically not quite quite where you want to be i have info for you coming up in just a half hour so netflix is disrupting everything hollywood is being disrupted by it as traditional networks cable networks whatever are finding they're competing against netflix with the billions Netflix is spending on new programming, as Netflix has put such a big emphasis in recent years on offering original programming. Some of the shows have done very well, others not as much. But the good news is it's helping create a lot of jobs behind the scenes, off camera, and for the people that are on camera. And we today in the United States have somewhere around 460 shows that are active in production. You go back not too many years ago, we used to have 80. That's how much more choice you have with television. And so the movie business faces a real challenge. How do you get people to go to the theater to watch a movie in person when people have access to such a massive array of programming right in their own home. So now the movie industry is thinking, you can't beat them, join them. I bet the actual individual theaters hate this. But this year, you're going to see more and more, it'll be called different things like enhanced pay-per-view or... um, premium pay-per-view, who knows what the the 
title will end up being could be referred to as uh, video on demand and movies that are just being released in the theater either simultaneously or after the opening week are likely to start being made available to you to watch in your own home and the other challenge for the theaters is that as wonderful as the screen is in a theater and the sound, so many people now have these wonderful, very low-cost, big-screen televisions in their home that deliver ultra-high-def, even if there's not much programming in ultra-high-def, and with the sound bars, phenomenal sound, right in your own home. So the movie biz is having a tough time. That's why you see more and more of these theaters offering a greatly enhanced experience with the big recliners and food and beverage service and all that as a way to stand out. So the movie business is really going to go, I believe, two ways. One, greatly enhanced experience to try to lure you into the theater And then as much as the movie theaters hate it, various forms of discounting, including what I've talked about with the subscription services for people who love movies, where you can watch unlimited movies for a flat rate per month. But get ready for the opportunity when the blockbuster comes out of being able to watch it in the comfort of your own home and make your own popcorn in your own home for pennies instead of paying six, eight, ten dollars for the popcorn at the theater. Ernie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ernie. Hello, how are you? Great, thank you, Ernie. You want to go to the what they call this the happiest place on earth? Is that what they call the Magic Kingdom? Yeah, among other things, and Clark, I love deals too, so I'm hoping you're gonna to come to the rescue. Oh boy. Disney <laughs> and Deals don't go together. Yeah, that's what I found. Um, I made my wife and I are both 55, uh, both postal workers, um, and we're looking to take two of our oldest grandkids to Florida. And it's just an average ticket is anywhere from three to three fifty a person, and you know, and that's not even including Universal. And I'm just wondering, do you know of any kind of uh, budget? spending I can we can do to kind of get our two oldest grandkids to Florida. So the thing with Disney and Universal is that you can only save money on the things around your trip, like where you stay, where you eat, but you will find it extremely frustrating trying to save money on the actual admissions. Okay. And that's just the way it is. Uh, There is something that uh, you may have heard, and that's that Disney and Universal now are using variable pricing, or what is often referred to as dynamic demand pricing, where what you pay to get into the parks is based on demand, either historical demand for the day you want to go, or rolling demand for the day you want to go. So the price is no longer necessarily the price. Disney is now set... Um, rates where you can go look at a calendar and see what it costs 
for each day at the park. And Disney isn't using a huge number of prices yet. But that's one way you can save a little bit of money is you take the grandkids at a time that Disney's charging its lowest prices per day. Yeah, we were actually looking in November. Of course, you know, nobody wants to go to Florida in June, July, and August. Uh, we were actually looking at November with the, you know, my wife's big into the Christmas decorations, and we're figuring that, you know, she could get a lot of satisfaction out of that. It wouldn't be as hot. So we found that some of the pricing during that time of year is a little relaxed, and the crowds are not as bad either from what we're hearing. Exactly. Right? Now, the cheapest two weeks historically of the year are actually in early December, right okay. after the Thanksgiving holiday ends. I don't know if that's a time that you could take yeah. the kids. <laughs> With being poster workers, early December is kind of like their boom period, so it's kind of so forget that. impossible to get off. Yeah. Well, but we November should out. help you. Also, the housing <laughs> should be a fair amount cheaper then. Have you ever heard me talk about mousesavers.com? No. Go check out that site. That's for people who just love everything about Walt Disney. And at the same time, they are really into saving money. And they post a continuous stream of updated deals every single day. Okay. And also, TripAdvisor doesn't do as good a job as Mouse Savers, but has enormous information about Orlando, Central Florida, all the various attractions and maybe a way to improve your trip and maybe save you a little bit of money, too. Okay. Now, I do have one more quick question. You were talking on Friday's show. I'm a day behind on the podcast. I believe I was listening to Friday's show today at work. Um, and you said something about you got a rental car for $13 a day. Now, I know that the rental companies probably salute you when you walk in the door and say, okay, we got to give him the best deal possible. But how did you do that? $13 a day? Nobody, Nobody's giving me a special deal because I walk <laughs> up because I book my car rental specials ahead of time. Okay. And I do a number of things to look for deals. I always start at Expedia.com because Expedia does a great survey of all the car rental companies. Okay. And so you can see the prevailing rate that everybody has, and that'll give me what I need to know to then go to Priceline.com and bid on a car rental. Okay. You know, most of the really cheap car rentals I get are from Priceline bids. You know, I've never used Priceline for cars, but I have used them several times for hotels, and I've never really thought of that, so that is a good idea. In addition to doing that, I have information at Clark.com about how not to get taken at the car rental counter, because I get so many complaints about people getting taken advantage of on the car rentals. Yeah, I heard some of your advice. Again, I believe it was last one of last week's shows that you were talking about surcharges that might be added in when you turn a car in, or even in the contract sometimes as you sign it at the counter. Exactly. So you're up to date on that. One other thing is that you would be wise to book a car rental early and then reshop it. And once you do a Priceline bid, if they accept it, you can't do this step. But if you haven't booked Priceline, you've just booked a regular car rental from wherever, the week before you go, reshop your car rental. 
and I'd say at least 80% of the time, car rental rates have dropped from when I booked early on to very late. And car rentals, there's no fee for canceling a rental, except, again, okay. the price line, which is completely non-refundable. Okay. Well, that helps a lot. That certainly does. Well, well check out the themousesavers.com. And I hope you have a great time. And, you know, I, I was smiling, thinking about something with you being a postal worker, is that everybody assumed that the Internet was going to destroy the Postal Service, and instead it's given the Postal Service a whole new lease on life and a whole new reason to exist with all the um, massive package volume the Postal Service now has. Yeah, it is It is quite massive, and we do quite of the other uh, couriers uh, business, too. They send the mail to us to work, actually. But uh, I did fall victim of some of the Internet impacts. We were consolidated from my home office into another office. I have to drive now 50 miles to work. But that's life, and, you know, that, that's something that we have to deal with. But you drive 50 that, miles each way, and then you have to drive all day? Uh, no, I don't drive. I work inside. Oh, okay, good. Inside. good. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm out of the elements, and I work during the day and all that. So all that works out good. But I do want to say before I let you go that, in the days of customer no service, uh, cell phone providers, and TV service, that um, the advice you give the, the working man is incredible. And to coin a phrase that another podcast that I listen to, you are definitely over like Rover. And I hope I'm the first one to ever tell you that. You are the first one to ever tell me that. Over like Rover? Over like Rover, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll have to look that up. See what that is. Have fun with the grandkids at Disney. Robert is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Clark. So, Robert, more important, how's your dog or cat? Um, our dog, Miley, is doing um, pretty well. She's five months old. Uh, she just got spayed, and I had to take her to the vet this morning because she came down with kennel cough. Oh, well, I wish your dog a rapid recovery. Yeah, she seems to be perking up pretty good. I think she'll be, she'll pull through just fine. Well, good. But my the reason I reached out to you guys is um, my husband and I were talking about um, possibly getting pet insurance. And um, before I would do anything, I said I wanted to find out what Clark Howard had to say. This is a tough one because care for a pet is totally different than it was a generation ago. People right. do... Uh, procedures, surgeries, uh, they do cancer treatments on pets. They do all kinds of things that in the old days people did not do. So providing medical care for pets has become what can be a very expensive thing Mm -hmm. in the event that your dog were to get a uh, serious illness or injury and you would be of a mind that you would want to have the procedures done and pay the money. So this is how I think you make the decision, Robert. First, there's there's like a, a series of protocols. First thing, are you very wealthy that if something happened, the two of you could just pay for what your pet needed? <laughs> oh, no. Right now, I'm currently unemployed. We just moved to Texas from California. My husband's in the military. And... Um 
so I haven't found work yet, and you know, living on a military salary isn't exactly um, what I call wealthy. All right. Well, thank him for his service to our country, by the way, for me. Absolutely. Um, so the the purpose of the pet insurance is specifically to deal with unexpected large expenses, like any other kind of insurance. So right. the way I would try to make a decision if you do want to buy a pet insurance policy is ask your vet himself or herself what pet insurance they found that their customers have the best success with. You okay. can't go by the colorful brochures. Right. And so you want to know which ones are actually going to give you enough coverage that will not exclude the breed of dog you have, as an example. That's one of the, the things that's a nasty in a lot of the pet insurance policies. Is they'll say, oh, well, yeah, we say we cover those things, but we don't cover them for your kind of dog. Right. So that's where the vet is so powerful in helping you decide by being able to determine which policy, if you do buy one, is going to be the best for you to have for your dog. And again, I wish your dog a rapid recovery. Hey everyone, I'm Maggie McGrath, a staff writer at Forbes magazine and your new host for a show called Forbes on Trump. Politicians are all talk, no action. I'll be speaking with the editors and writers who are reporting on the 45th president. We'll hear what they're finding out about his wealth, his business associates, and the ways in which he and his policies are affecting the economy, consumers, and all aspects of the business world. Somebody has to come out and tell it like it is. Along the way, we'll dive into Forbes archives, which contain decades of information that will add context to the current White House administration. So listen to this. Listen to this. That's Forbes on Trump on Podcast One. Subscribe now at iTunes, and don't forget to rate, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. On the web, Clark.com, when you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com. I want to talk about something that is a very difficult odyssey for so many American families. When you have an aging relative, could be your spouse, could be a mom or dad, could be grandma or granddad, and they're starting to have more difficulty, maybe mentally not quite as sharp as before, or physically starting to have more difficulty. And the reality is, you and I are not capable, generally, of knowing what to do next. How best to see that our loved one gets the care that he or she needs. It is an area that is so confusing And you never want to be in a position, if you need to help a relative find a place to live where they can get care, that you have an oops, and you say, ooh, we shouldn't have gone there, and you have to move them soon after again. Because it's disruptive in someone's life to have to move 
and to have to move again and again. I remember with my late mom, we made one oops, and one of the moves with her is her health deteriorated, and it was really awful that we had to move her within six months again. So I'm very well aware, based on my own experience, that there are people out there that can help you, and you want to find somebody who is a skilled professional, generally referred to by the umbrella term geriatric social worker. There are are different terms used in the industry, but they are people who, what they specialize in is helping guide you because they've been there, done that. There's testing they'll do. They'll develop what are known as baselines on your relative or friend or whoever it is you're trying to help so you know what their needs are physically, potentially mentally, whatever it is. And these professionals, these specialists, are able to figure out, based on the needs of your loved one, what kind of assistance they need, whether that assistance can best be rendered in their home where they already are, or whether they need to be in some kind of facility to provide care, what type of facility, but most important, when you get somebody who is very knowledgeable of a local market and very experienced, they're going to know places that you should avoid and places that you would want to go. Because a lot of times a place that looks good, maybe looks really pretty, may be a terrible care facility. And another place that looks pretty spartan may be fantastic at the care your loved one would receive. Because of the calls I've had about this, at Clark.com, you look at our show notes for today, you will see hyperlinks for associations that have information and associations that have referral for you of how you can find someone near you who's an expert that can provide you the kind of guidance I'm talking about you having. And compared to the cost of care, the cost of this kind of expertise is nothing. I mean, it's relatively nothing. But the benefit can be enormous for your loved one. Bridget is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bridget. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Clark? Great, thank you. How may I serve you today? I have a question um, about kind of the difference between saving for retirement and then also getting rid of my car loans, paying off my car loans. All right. So normally, been... normally, before you say another word, I'm going to tell you my built-in bias. Okay. That uh, you're going to have to convince me otherwise, and so I always want to put my bias out there, okay, is that okay. my bias is very heavily going to be towards you saving for retirement rather than trying to accelerate paying off a car loan. So now convince mm-hmm. me otherwise. Okay. So here's kind of the situation. I have been working since I was about 22, and I'm 28 now. So I've been putting money in my 401k um, for about six years, 
And then I also have maxed out um, my Roth IRA for 2015 and 2016. Do you know how great that is? Do you know how phenomenal that is? Well, I guess in listening to your show, it's taught me a lot about kind of saving for retirement. And I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge in this financial world right now. It's definitely not an area that I know a lot about, but uh, I'd say you know I'd say you know what you need to know because you making those kind of decisions changes your whole financial future. So I'm curious, who was it, family or friend, that really got this in your head about saving for the future from what relative to how other Americans do it is a very, very young age? My parents. They were both very big savers, and they showed me the importance of saving. And, I mean, I started working when I was a teenager, and I had some money for fun, but then I also was able to put some money away. And thanks to that, I don't have any student loans either. What a great story to share, because I find that when somebody is as motivated as you are starting at 22 to save for retirement, that it had to come from a close influence in your development. And and your parents deserve so much credit for that. Yeah, they're really great. And I mean, um, even though I don't know, you know, understand a lot of the terminology and stuff, I think just kind of having this um, basis in their model to show me really made a big difference. Wonderful. So uh, you're already geared towards my kind of mentality, saving for the future. So what would change that and you'd worry about speeding up paying off this car loan? Well, because I don't have any student loan debt, um, when I bought my car in October 2015, um, that was kind of that first debt that I was in, and I just don't like to have it there at all. But car loans usually carry a relatively low interest rate. How much is your interest rate? It's 1.9. Yeah, don't do anything about rushing to pay that off. Okay. Pay it off as agreed. The most efficient use of your money is to continue to live on less than what you make and save Mm -hmm. money. And then that brings me to another question, because everything we've talked about in terms of saving is saving for retirement. Do you have an intermediate goal, like buying your own home, something like that? No, I don't. Okay. Then keep doing exactly what you're doing. I guess in terms of my Roth IRA then, or should I put more into my 401k? Should I raise that percentage, or should I put more into my Roth IRA? I guess I could do more into my Roth IRA until I max that out. Exactly. Exactly. The advantage of you doing that, the Roth is pre-tax dollars, you're in your 20s, you're likely in a lower tax bracket today than you'll be in the future. So money into the Roth is more valuable to you today than money in the 401k. Okay. So you are an example that is such a great example for so many other people, and I hope others listening to you in their 20s and 30s will be inspired by what you've done, Bridget. It's great. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mark. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You have a question about an investing thing you are either thinking of doing or have done. 
I have done it. Tell me what it is. It is a peer-to-peer lending organization, and you're familiar with them. And I invested some money thinking it's a great idea, and I still do. But as time went on, I began to think, if I needed to cash out, how would I do that? Well, I contacted them, and kind of to my surprise, found out, if I got the information correct, I found out that it's kind of up to me to find uh, replacement investors. Not exactly. And, um, are, you, right. are you doing Prosper or Lending Club? Lending Club. Okay, so with both of them, and by the way, do you know I've been doing an experiment because I get so many questions about it? that I have put money into both Prosper and Lending Club? Yes, I heard you speak of that, and then I did. All right, so I got I did 5000 in each. And for people who aren't aware, it's a way that you lend, you're kind of like a microbank, lending money to people. And right. I have, gosh, how many loans do I have right now? Um, I don't even know how many total loans I have. But the funny thing is, remember, each of them started with the same $5,000, I now have $1 difference in the account values with Lending Club that I do with Prosper. No, now it's $2 different. So (laughs) they're very, very similar. I've had uh, two loans go past due, and even with that, I'm earning a net return right now, it looks like, of around 9%, which is significantly higher than they had originally estimated I would get on the portfolio I'm doing. Right. And what kind of return are you getting? I think about that. I I looked at it uh, earlier today, and I I think I'm getting uh, uh, plus nine. So I'm I'm pleased with the idea. And by the way, I would have been pleased even at what they had originally promised me, which was somewhere five and a half or somewhere in there. Yes. Um, But the way you are... The way it's set up, really, for you to wind down from Lending Club or Prosper is that you don't want, as notes pay off, you don't want them to reinvest anymore. So you right. wean yourself out of the system normally over uh, typically a two- or three-year period. Right. So once you're in, you're pretty much in till you decide you want to exit, and then you gradually get out. Now, what you're talking about that they told you is you can go on a secondary market and sell your notes, essentially. And that will wipe out some of the return you would have had because people then want to make a spread on taking over your notes. Right. And that's what I didn't appreciate. I mean, I didn't understand. It's, It's fine, but I just didn't understand that I couldn't get out, that it wasn't very liquid. Uh, And I just, I know better now, but I just didn't. And you know, that that may be some of my failure in how I've answered questions about Lending Club and Prosper is that that's something that uh, I think that you're, you and me talking about it right now may be the first time it's ever come up how you get out versus how you get in. Correct. Correct. And and I just jumped in not thinking about it and then thought, well, it's, uh, I wonder how liquid it is, so I called, and that's what they explained. But, uh, and is that, I have I that. caused you a hardship by getting you interested in this? And having, Not at all. Not at all. Okay. The money I put in is, is fine to be in there two or three years. That, that's not a problem at all, but it just pawned on me if, if I wanted out, or if I didn't like how it was performing, how was I going to do that? And, you know, the loans go into uh, default status more with peer-to-peer lenders than they do with traditional banks. 
And the reason is, is that they are more flexible with who they'll lend money to with right. Prosper and Lending Club than banks. Banks tend to have more a green light, red light thing, where with the Prosper and Lending Club, with the array of interest rates they'll charge uh, and the credit risks they'll take on, the higher the credit risk you take, obviously, the higher the default or delinquency rate you'll have. Well, and one thing I wish I'd done differently was to go with larger denominations of loans. I, I chopped up at $25, so I'm in hundreds of loans. Yeah, I have. I looked right now, Lending Club, I have 220 loans outstanding. I'm like a giant mogul at $25 a pop. Will is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Will. How you doing? Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. You are looking at seeing if you can get a better deal on your money. Is that right? Well, yes. First of all, I want to thank you for your service. I have been a listener for a long time and have learned so much. And I even speak about you on my own radio program here in Connecticut. Oh, that's neat. What kind of show do you do, Will? Well, I'm proud to be part of a station that's called WMNR. And what I love about it is that it's listener-supported, and all of the broadcasters, including myself, were volunteers. But um, I've mentioned you on the program. Hopefully have uh, turned other people onto your, your program. Well, thank you so much for that. You're welcome. I heard you very passionately speaking about Smells Fargo Bank, which... Uh, <laughs> And and I learned so much about, you know, the atrocious way they've behaved in in the courts now and, and all that. And it really inspired me to seriously consider an online bank, which I've known about. And I went on your site and read about some of your recommendations for online banks. I'm a little hesitant, mainly due to um, the idea of making deposits. I want to change. I don't want to support this particular bank anymore, but I don't want it to be a hassle. So yeah, so what's, what's neat your- now, and this is how the online banks have even the odds, is now you do your deposits even with the big banks. You do them on your smartphone. I've never done that. I, I know about it. I'm, it's I'm fantastic. Once, once you learn to do deposits on your smartphone, you'll never okay. go back. You'll okay. never. It is so great to be able to do that. What about making, you know, once in a while I have to make a cash deposit. You have no way to do that with an online bank. Yeah, that's one of the concerns. Yeah, and that that Um, is a fact. There is no way to deposit cash. Okay, but overall I'm gathering that you're very high on these things. Yeah, let me tell you why I love them, okay? I'm looking at the bank rate list of the various online banks. It says, uh, amount to deposit to avoid monthly fees. I'm looking down the list. Zero, 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 one after another. You know, they're not in that game of trying to figure out how to charge you fees and how to get you, how to rip you off. You can do just about anything that you do at a traditional bank, except for the one thing you pointed out, you can't deposit cash. You're stuck with the cash you have. And continued success to you on the air. 
Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. And it's coming to Podcast One in just a few weeks. So keep your eyes and ears open for Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways it was always even when I said hello he never seemed to speak back to you he was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it the British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican I'm Rita Foley